Hello, and welcome to Shelf Hunters. This week's book is The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. I'm so sorry if I said that wrong. Welcome to Shelf Unders. I'm your host, Annie Foner, and before we get into the book for today, I would like to make a few short announcements. So first, as I'm sure you've noticed, Belle is not with us today due to time, distance, and the fact that it's summer now, and we are college roommates. So we've just come to the conclusion that I should host the podcast part, as I tend to dedicate more time to reading. And she is going to be in charge of some other new and upcoming things, which I'll get into as we figure them out, kind of. Um, However, she and some others will still guest star and read along with me, getting back their input as we go. But today, it's just me. Okay, so for this week's book, I read The Poppy War by R.F. Kong. Again, please, please forgive me. I'm going to say this so horribly wrong. I'm going to mispronounce everything. I can't pronounce things on a good day, so this probably isn't going to work well for me, but here we go. So, this book is about a young orphan named Rin and her world that is on the brink of a third poppy war. This book was an excellent sci-fi fantasy book. It is something I personally would classify as a dense and hard fantasy book. It is action-driven and action-based. It is a complicated web of magic, nations, and war. All of this together creates some unforgivable characters and unforgettable life lessons. So for a little bit about the author, R.F. Kong, Kwong, oh gosh, I'm so sorry, is a writer living in the UK who studied many different aspects of Chinese and Japanese history throughout her education at the University of Georgetown. The Poppy War series was her debut series, and it is loosely based on the tragic history of those previously mentioned nations. The rest of the series consists of The Dragon Republic, Book 2, and the conclusion to the trilogy, The Burning God. Kuang also has a new book currently in the works set to release August of this year, 2022, titled Babel. Now, for a quick little blurb on the book. The Poppy War is about a young girl named Feying Runin, who goes by Rin throughout the book. Starts off with Rin, a war orphan in a seemingly abusive household, trying to get out and go to a special boarding school. From the very beginning, Rin is portrayed and seen as a fighter, working as hard as she can to get out of her unfortunate circumstances. This is a common theme for Rin throughout the book. She's faced with many challenges involving the complex magic system and tough choices between good and evil, right and wrong, and mentor and commander. In the face of these choices, Rin seems so human and she is such a dynamic character, I truly did fall in love with her. From the way she avenges herself and others while simultaneously just trying to break free of the cage she has been in her entire life. 
makes you really wonder what you would do if you were also shown a completely different aspect to the world you thought you knew. Though Rin seems to be like the rest of us, she does make some questionable choices throughout the book that cost her dearly. She loses pretty much everyone close to her, either through death, heartbreak, or poor judgments. I really love the way this book rounds out Rin as a character, while giving the story itself the dimensions that it needs. As you read, you can picture yourself as Rin making the same choices, and they do not seem so insane when you are reading in her head, but at the same time, those choices haunt her, and therefore, they haunt you. Reading, you have no idea if you'd make the same decisions, and though you want to both urge Rin and tell yourself that you wouldn't, it may be only a comfort, and you will never know the truth. I have a question for you. Would you sacrifice the world to ensure your place in it? (laughs) Okay, so that's popular. For my rating, overall this book is harder to get into, I will not lie. It was something I struggled to stay focused on. Maybe that was just me, and maybe I'm slipping into a little bit of a reading slump. It's yet to be determined. I think that it was harder for me to get into right away just because it is so densely written, and I like the easy to fall into kind of fantasy books and this definitely wasn't one of those but that's a characteristic of this genre so really no hate there. I do think that this book is eloquently written and extraordinarily complex more so than ever in the way it makes you change your perspectives on your own life but I would say as a book I would give it an 8 out of 10. And then in the category category of denser fantasy I'd give it a 9 out of 10. I truly did love the book. The only thing I felt like was missing was some sort of romantic emotional connection. I feel like that could have told us more about the character Rin and how she impacts others around her. I do realize though, and I concede, that that is not the typical style of a book in this genre and that it was not necessary to make this book great. So I'm going to assume that that is probably just a me thing and I just enjoy my romances a little too much. Okay, now for the fun part. We're going to move into the plot. So if you haven't read the book and you like what you've heard so far, go back, go read the book. Or you can listen to me talk you through it. (laughs) So I'm going to give my deep dive into my reaction slots on the book and specific plot points. A little blurb for a future note. I'm going to keep a sort of log to track my thoughts and feelings throughout the readings coming up. So you can read along with me, feeling what I'm feeling. But for this episode, just due to the changing nature of the overall setup, I'm going to read through like we've done in the past. So not next week, because the one for next week um, is a book that I'm currently reading, so I'm too far in to go back. However, for the week after that, I'm going to do it in chunks, most likely like five to six like journal logs. So you can really get my thoughts and feelings as we go. Okay. Welcome to the world of Nikon. And me, hopefully not pronouncing everything wrong. If I am, I'm sorry. But don't correct me because I, I don't care that much. This book starts off with a bang. The very first line is, take your clothes off. And if that doesn't just set you up for the wild ride we are about to embark on, I don't know what else does. In the first line, Rin is being admitted into the Kiju. Kiju? which is an impossible test that some students study their entire lives for. This test determines who gets into the colleges and elite schools in the nation of Nikon. 
to no one's real surprise except for Rin's adoptive family and everyone in the book, but I feel like you just see these plot points enough as a reader where you're kind of like, oh, sure, duh. Rin aces a test and travels to the most elite boarding school in the nation. Singard is a military training academy for the best of the best. Here, she is still attacked for the color of her skin, the way she walks, talks, where she was raised, the whole thing. She was raised in a small town called Tikini. Tikini? Guys, I'm sorry. And that is in the south, which from the standards of the north is dirty and poor. And of course, Singard, the school, the academy, is in the north, leaving most of the occupants as rich warlord children and the trust fund babies of the political powers. And they don't like Rin. So another thing about Singard that lands Rin on the outskirts is the fact that she's a girl. There are only two other girls at this academy with her. Granted, it is a military academy, but uh, still. All of these differences come to a head the minute she steps into the academy. A boy named Misa decides to make a dig at her teacher, who traveled with Rin in place of her family because her family sucks, you know, they don't like her, whatever. Not when they're opium, opium dealers. We'll get into the opium, okay, guys? Anyways, Misa says whatever Rukama he says, and Rin decides on day one to make an unknown person an enemy and punches him square in the nose. Gotta love her for it, though. This marks the beginning of a beautiful rivalry that eventually involves the whole school and makes Rin forfeit any chance of friends she had before entering. Just however, make a friend named Kite, and we'll get into him too. This part of the book, I'd say honestly the first part, like part one of the book, very much so gives me Harry Potter vibes, him meeting Draco, the whole school of odds, and Harry still trying to grasp the fact that this is part of his world and that he is now living in it. Though the story reminds me of the wonderful times at Hogwarts, Ren herself gives me a bit more of a warrior vibes and maybe a bit too much conqueror. <laughs> she does, however, seem to have the fire and the sass most commonly associated with Selena Sardothian in the Throne of Glass series, and I just really feel like that hits home with me. Okay, moving on from her first impressions, Ren is a troublesome t- student who has troublesome professors, the main one of which, at least in the beginning, is June. He is her combat instructor, although he holds the vibes of the high school gym coach. He's very stereotypically too much. He pushes the students in ways that only suffice to separate them, creating unhealthy rivalries. You know, when they give you dodgeball balls, that's that's how this guy feels. A little slimy. June eventually turns on Rin and permanently kicks her out of his class anyways, hoping that she will fail her end of the year first year tests and therefore be kicked out of the academy so I have to do these big like trials at the end of the year to see if they can sign into like a certain profession so june is obviously combat and then the other not so wonderful character professor is the ever so eccentric jian this is a professor of the lore class he doesn't dine to teach the class he merely walks about the campus grounds smoking different herbal concoctions resulting in him typically being stoned Jiang does, however, take an interest to Rin when Jun kicks her from his class. This happens when Rin starts using books in the lore herb garden as her training grounds because no one's ever there. Jiang decides that she has a little potential stored in her wiry frame and gives her a pig. Yes, a pig. To be more precise, a piglet named Sunzi. Every day, Rin is tasked with running into the town, past all the people into the slums to pick up Sunzi, and hike them all the way up the mountain to get some fresh spring water. 
This happens daily as the piglet grows and grows and grows, and Rin becomes steadily stronger. Jiang says that this is for her endurance and her, like, groundedness to the five elements. Jiang also teaches her some other important combat skills and gives her, like, brief history lessons on the heroes of the two previous Poppy Wars. As they learn about the five different principal elements in their universe, fire, water, air, earth, and metal, they also learn how to channel their body's ki, or naturally occurring energy. They also get the background on the martial arts consisting of how they were first studied and created to follow the five elements by the monks who are seeking to protect themselves and work together doing so. Eventually, that whole martial arts history gets watered down over the centuries to the poor curriculum taught in the Singard training classes. However, Rin is always troublesome. She almost loses all of this when she tells Jiang that she only wants to be a good soldier and nothing more. As Rin is pouting over losing Jiang's wisdom, she continues training in the garden, happening upon the biggest mystery at the school, Alton Changsen, the legendary Spearly Warrior. For some context, Spear, this is in the history, is the island that Nikon sacrificed in the last war to win against the Mugen Empire. Nikon sacrificed an entire island of warriors to die to win the last war. Not, not the best people. They decided genocide was the way to escape, and the Spearleys, an unwilling participant in the war in the first place, were just sacrificed. The people of Spear also have a peculiar religion, where they worship the god of fire, or the phoenix. This made their people fire wielders, and set them up to be some of the most vengeful and heroic peoples. Alton was an escaped child from Spear, believed to be the last of his race. Also, (laughs) Rin seems to find him oh so terribly attractive. I was once again very hopeful would lead somewhere, and it did not. (laughs) Alton is also a formidable warrior, and the rest of the students all know about him. He is a few years older than the rest, or than Rin's class, so I think he's like a junior when she's a freshman kind of vibe. And he is just as much of an outsider as Rin is. Eventually, well, again, because he's from the South, because Spear is in the South, and he has different colored skin, and he likes to keep to himself. So he's still an outsider. Eventually, Alton disappears as he is hired, taken, you know, however you want to put it, by the Empress. I have some theories about her that we'll get into. So the Empress is like this crazy beautiful lady who is doing a very poor job at holding her country together, and she seems a little bit like a shallow sellout. We do find out later that this is exactly what she is, and I very much so hate her. (laughs) Anyways, I'm pretty sure she's the Viper from the Trifecta history on the trifecta. This is like the holy trinity of heroes that helped save Nikon in the first Poppy War. Or something like that? I don't know for sure. (laughs) Anyways, they were these like all-powerful shamans who can like connect with the gods and they can use the gods power that they connect to. So basically like shaman connect to god to this god and then use their power. The different gods have different powers and there's a bunch of gods. Jiang starts teaching Rin about these different shamans and their powers because we find out that she also has a connection to the Phoenix God, who is the god that Spear worshipped. And this makes everyone conclude that she's an escaped child refugee of Spear. I personally have some serious doubts about this, but whatever. 
I've only finished the first book. Could be completely wrong about that, but just something just doesn't click with the whole spear thing. And I feel like her parents have to come to a head and play a part at some point. I just don't know when or where. Anyways, yeah. Jiang starts explaining the whole shamanism thing, and honestly, you don't really know what is even going on with that, and I still don't really know what's going on with that. It is so complicated and so complex, and I'm sure that if I read it a thousand times, it'll eventually click, but it just, it didn't click on the first time, which I think, again, is why this book was a little bit harder for me to get into, because it just couldn't put all the moving pieces together in my brain. But basically, it's something along the lines of certain people are born with or trained enough to have the ability of shamanism which is the ability to float up to the spiritual palace of the gods called the Pantheon. There are other places in the realm of the gods, which I am hoping we learn more about, but for now that's all I really got. Anyways, then specific gods choose specific people to access their powers, and then slowly the gods can, like, come down to earth through these powers, through this connection, and, like, steal the person's body, ruin their mortality, and destroy the world. So, um, that's super fun. (laughs) Back to the plot. Rin is still at Singard, finished most of her training, which honestly goes by in a blurb, like literally a blurb or two, and kind of leaves you reeling. Like, I feel like I missed it, but I didn't, you know, that sort of thing. But Rin is in her final year at Singard, and then the Mugen, which are the bad guys, quote unquote, the bad guys. I don't think anyone's really good or evil in this book. It makes the whole thing real confusing. The Mugen start attacking and coming for the different cities. And obviously they go for after Singard to take out the potential of training more soldiers, which, if I'm being completely honest, is such a waste because seriously, it doesn't even matter. Nikon is doomed. Politically, they are a mess. Every warlord, I think there is like 12, are all fighting each other and not sharing resources. They're just at each other's throats day in, day out. Politically, the whole thing is a crumbling mess. They're basically an anarchy. It's horrible. Also, all the soldiers are, like, really good at combat, but they cannot work as a team to save their lives. Literally, to save their lives. They just die off. So, Nikon could have the numbers, but Mugen works so well together that, like, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Singard gets attacked, and the gates are falling, the city is falling, and everyone is dying. And then flips out a little bit. And all of a sudden is unleashing the wrath of the most vengeful fire god, unlike all the soldiers, and she was burning it all up, and it's, it's, honestly, it's just insane. Very good writing. I'm confused, but very good. Niza, so the guy that she punched in the face in the first impressions, you know, first aid guard, yeah, and the rivalry, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, him. So Niza was fighting with her, and he gets injured, which, like, sets off the fireball moment. Then Jiang comes to the rescue, basically out of nowhere, like, just appears out of thin air, saves her, and then unleashes some of his power. And now here, I think he is another part of the trifecta. And that, and then that whole thing gets confirmed later. So he is the peacemaker guy in the trifecta called the gatekeeper. He was once a very powerful warrior with the ability to unleash demons in his command on opposing forces. However, because shamanism is so crazy and the gods are slowly taking over the human bodies, he sort of loses control and just unleashes some crazy demons on the world. And then he just dips. Jiang just dips and locks himself away instead of trying to clean up his own mess. Which honestly is probably for the best. Probably even the best option for all the shamans, but 
Only he is noble and high enough to just entomb himself for eternity. So whatever. That's Jiang's story, I guess. So now that Ren has, like, lost it, everyone knows that she is spirily, at least in the sense that the fire god likes her. The Empress, the evil Empress, also comes for her. And that's, like, the end of the first or second part, I believe. This book, okay, I would really like to point out, this book is, like, 530 pages long. It looks like it should be 200, okay? It is so long and so dense and so complicated, like, I don't even know. Looking back, I don't even really know what happened. I know it was good, but I don't really know what happened, you know? Anyways. So, the beginning of the second part is when we first get a glimpse of Tyr? 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 I don't know. T-Y-R. Tyr. Who I think is the most sane character, but, uh, he dies in the first, like, four seconds of knowing him, so that was cool. The Empress betrayed him and then killed him in cold blood because, uh, yeah, she's evil. Like, who would have thunk? She's insane. And in this scene, we also get confirmation, confirmation confirmation-ish, I think it's confirmation, that she's in fact the Vipress, which was another part of the trifecta. So the trifecta was like the three warriors or whatever, and it was the gatekeeper who was like the peacemaker dude, the Vipress, and then this other hero who was with like the um, phoenix god, the fire dude, yeah. But the Vipress has, like, the power of, like, mind control, and she definitely uses that, and I definitely think she's a Vipress, and she's a little bit too crazy to be sane, or maybe she's just a god, you know, taking over her body. Who knows? We'll get there, I'm sure. So, now the only character yet to be uncovered in the la- is the last hero, like, the phoenix god fire dude hero in the trifecta, who I believe died, or, like, was actually murdered at some point. And I'm kind of wondering if Rin has become part of the trifecta. Again, I don't know. It's yet to be determined. Part two, we rejoin with Alton Changsen. We love Alton. I don't know why. Something about him. Just because like, mm-hmm. And Alton's now crew that is working for the Empress because only the readers and not Rin know that she is in fact evil. Love the foreshadowing, you know? And this group is called the Psyche. The group that Alton controls is called the Psyche. Or known around the armies as the 13th Squadron of Bizarre Children. There's only a handful of these guys, and they're all shamans with connections to different gods. So they use their powers and are commanded by Alton because he seems to be really good at grounding everyone and holding down the fort after Tyr died. Tyr also, you know, said he was his second. Alton is also a pretty good commander. He plans out a pretty cool marsh attack with just the Psyche, which... Honestly, might be my favorite scene of the whole book, and could hypothetically be my favorite fight scene pretty much ever. I really liked it. Then the Psyche try and help some of the other warlord armies in defending a city called Gerdelane. I'm never going to get that right. City K. K. Cool. This city, however, was a decoy. And they don't find out that this battle in the city was a decoy battle. Like, it's their city, but the battle at the city was a decoy. So they don't find any of that out until they win the battles and have all of their strongest forces there. Honestly, it's just a really embarrassing way to go down. So they also meet Chagan, who is Alton's best friend dude and part of the psych. He can float around the realm of the gods and like talk to the prophecy people and he is known as the seer of the group. So he takes Ran up to get a prophecy and she's given this cryptic message that ultimately comes to fruition. 
The message describes a huge city falling and the betrayal of a heroic war- warrior. Not a heroic warrior. Heroic ruler. So, the team of the psych moved to the inner capital city, which is ultimately more important and has been the target the entire time by Mugen. And when this happens, they go and find the city completely swept through. This is Golinis. So, all that's left are bodies neatly stacked and horrifically butchered. <laughs> um, honestly, this part needs a trigger warning. I have never read something quite so gruesome and graphic as these scenes of Galenis and what the Mugen did. It is explained that the Mugen soldiers do not think of themselves as individual lives, but rather as cogs in a machine, valuing their lives very little, and the lives of the enemies even less so. It's crazy to me to think that these scenes are based off human history. Anyways, the whole Galenis issue, gruesome bodies everywhere. Um, I personally attest this whole mess to the Empress. I think she has something to do with brainwashing them into thinking that they don't matter. And I just want to know what the heck she's done, you know? Psych move out and see the city in all its glorious carnage. And then we get Kate, who comes out and is like, oh, hey, there are a few for survivors. And yeah. So, again, Kate was her only friend from Singard. He didn't really have a lot going on when she was in Singard. Just, he was her only friend. And now here he is. Okay, I really have mixed feelings about his retur- return. I kind of find it annoying when everyone dies except the character. But he does continue to play an important role later on, so I'm sure I'll forgive him for it. You know, for living, but whatever. Then the beginning of the end starts. So, Alton and Rin decide to peel off from the group. Again, amazing time for a little bit of romance, but, uh, no. So, they decide to go to the stone prison, which is the one place on Earth that can house shamans who have fully given into their god form and keep them imprisoned. It is a giant stone mountain thing that was placed there by the king of the gods or something crazy like that. Here, they first find Jiang, who has entombed himself instead of letting his god run wild. Again, probably for the best. Then they let out a shaman that Alton had trapped there because he was the most recent victim. This dude was bonkers. And escaped. And is an evil god. So, um, that's super cool. This god controls the wind and completely disappeared. I am certain he will be a villain coming up in the rest of the series. They briefly mention it and I'm pretty sure it was just foreshadowing. Then, as Alton and Rin decide that this was the most horrible idea that they've ever had, and they themselves begin to flee, they are captured by Mugen soldiers. Led there by the evil Empress Lady. So she comes full circle, guys. Alton and Rin get captured because the Empress traded their lives as spiralies in exchange for her city or her own life or something. I'm not entirely sure what she got out of the deal, but she made a deal. She sacrificed them. Once the two of them are captured, they're taken back to this old, like, testing facility with this crazy dude who tries to, like, open up their bodies to find the fire. Yeah, that's all insane. This happens to be the same guy and the same lab that Alton was taken to as a refugee when he was five. So, um, talk about the trauma. Basically, when he was five, Spear got invaded, he got snatched, brought to this place, they tortured him. Then he got liberated from them. It's basically like returning to the war camp. Super fun. These people at the lab, they like, they also drugged Alton when he was five on um, heroin. And so he's been a closeted addict his entire life. 
and opium is a commonly talked about topic the entirety of this book, and I'm really curious to see how the story will explain drug addiction and usage in the upcoming installment, so keep you posted on that. They also inject Rin with heroin when she's there for the short period of time that they're captured and, you know, being experimented on. But as far as we know, she's not a total addict yet. But uh, we don't know everything. So we'll see. Then Rin goes with Alton into the spiritual world where she's told by the Phoenix Fire dude that she's a perfect candidate for his fire host body. Yeah. So, her and Alton devise a plan to get themselves out of Dodge, out of this testing facility that happens to be only a few days, yes, days, swim from Spearly, where they need to visit the old temple to unleash the fire god into Rin. When they are making their grand escape exit, Alton sacrifices himself to Rin's escape in his all-dramatic fireball glory. Again, I feel like this would be so much more heartfelt, so much more traumatic, and so much, like, more meaningful to the books and to Rin if there had been any romance between Rin and Alton. But there wasn't. This scene, Rin escaping, was really good. However, I really do feel like Rin is already losing her humanity because there was no mourning of Alton, her commander, and a friend. Rin losing it and completely mentally drained makes a swim to Spearly and finds the fire temple of the Phoenix God. Here, she worships him lets him into her body with the full force of the Spearleys behind her. So basically, all of the people from Spear have conjoined in the spirit world, coalesce their vengeance and craving for revenge and hatred of the Mugen, blah blah blah. They've, like, converged all this into one giant fireball, like, fireball fuel, basically. And with all of that power, it fuels the fire god, the phoenix god, into Rin. And she passes out on the beach. She wakes up days later, saved by the psych, aboard their ship. She is the new commander. Alton left her in charge. And is now in charge of a crew she is still finding her place in. However, Chagan, the seer, agrees once again to be her seer, and she still has her ragtag group of bizarre children to take on the world. Oh, and when she let the fire god in her, he burned almost all of the Mugen soldiers in the island and surrounding areas. In the same way that they burned Spear. So, Rin sacrificed an entire island of Mugen soldiers. Just like Mikan sacrificed an entire island of Spearly warriors. Do you see the parallels? Mm, I'm excited. Okay, so this whole event of burning Mugen cleared the battlefield and left Rin with more power than she knows what to do with, and less humanity than before. Kite comes in here to remind her to grieve and feel, and it seems like he's going to be her consciousness throughout the remainder of the series. And once all of this is settled, Rin announces her plan of hunting down the Empress and the escaped Wind God, and she then declares to herself and the others that they will use the gods as tools and not let the world down. That's the end of the book. So, my final thoughts. Um, some things worth mentioning is that it is very hard to tell which side you belong in, the war, and throughout the books. There was a good portion of the book that I didn't think Mugen was evil. Then they left it 
city full of corpses. So that's 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 what happened there. Mm-hmm. And then like the Federation doesn't seem evil, which is like the side that ran like the Nikon Federation doesn't seem evil. Good. They did sacrifice Spear all those years ago. And uh, everyone is drugging everyone, and all the citizens, all the citizens are doped up, and no one gets along with anyone. And then, like Rin seems innocent and harmless at the beginning, and by the end, she has burned an entire race. So, the book really plays with the good and evil of humanity. I just feel like everyone needs to just be purged and try again. This whole series, everyone just needs to die. I I think I'd be okay if like literally every single person in the series died. Which is so crazy to me because, again, these books are based off of real events, actual human history. So it really just leaves me questioning everything about myself and what I know is good and evil and humanity itself. It was a truly fascinating read because of the perspectives it places on life. Is Rin the hero or the villain? I couldn't tell you. I honestly have no idea. So... Yeah, that was my review on the Poppy War. Next week, we're going to do The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon, I believe. And we'll see how that goes. Um, other than that, you can follow our Instagram, Shelf Hunters. Like and subscribe. I'll keep you guys updated on anything that Belle does. And I'll see you next week. Bye!